thing. Uh, I am super excited about next Sunday. It's a special Sunday, not just in the fact that we're doing an outreach. There is another layer of speciality about next week, so you do not want to miss it. Trust me, it's going to be a really cool experience, so um, make sure that you can make it next Sunday for church. It's going to be fun. Uh, So many Years ago, when I was, I think, 14 years of age, I went on my, I think it was my first mission trip. Uh, I went to London, England, to London, uh, and it was awesome. Uh, we had a group of like 40 teenagers going to, that, on a mission trip. That's a ton of teenagers on a missions trip traveling internationally with passports. And I think we did have one person lose their passport, naturally. Um, and uh, anyways, it was, it was super fun. But we would go out and we partner with some churches in the area. And then we would do some dramas in the park. We'd do these big dramas and draw a big crowd. And then we would share the gospel. And then we'd go and talk to people about Jesus. And it was super fun. Uh, but there's a couple of different churches that we partnered with. Well, When we went to our second partner church, there were two guys that met us there. And they were Pia and Pia, both Peter. That was was their name. But that's how they said it, Pia. And so we met Pia and Pia, and they were both completely different people, okay? So one Peter was, he was a short dude, like just nothing special about the way he looked, just an average guy, but he was super servant-hearted. Like as soon as we showed up, he just started grabbing our bags. And we're like, uh, but where, but that's our, where are you go? And he would just grab them and take them in. We didn't even know where we were going yet. He would just come out and he was grabbing our bags and taking them somewhere without saying a word. Right, And then he comes up to us and he's like, we are so honored to have you guys here. We are, it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for being here and serving with our church. It's such a pleasure to have you here. It's just super humble and servant hearted. And he just continued that the whole time we were there. He would, he would just give you a bottle of water and then you're about to say thank you. And you're like, thank you. Where'd he go? Yeah, he just like, he was just gone. But he was just constantly serving. Uh, just, just an awesome individual. Right? And then the other Peter was tall, uh, lean, good, really good-looking guy, worship leader for the church, you know, and, uh, and he did his best Tim Hughes impression, you know, here I am to worship. And so, but like the girls were like, oh, Pia, you know, they just, he was so cute and all the girls were like talking about him and he was singing and serenading them, you know, and stuff. So the two Peters, right, the story of the two Peters. Well, we end up uh, finishing our trip, and the last night we're going through doing a recap, right? So we ask everybody, so who out of all the people that you've met, we met a ton of people on the trip. It was like a 10-day trip. It was a long missions trip. 
And we asked them, who impacted you the most? Who stood out to you the most? And so some of the girls raised their hands. And, they, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Pia. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the worship leader guy or whatever. Like, no, the short guy. And, and, then, and then one by one, every person had a story about Peter. Some way that he served them or came up to them or did something for them. And they just all were talking, everybody, we were all talking about how humble he was. Just the humility that he carried. And it left a mark on our group. Every single person had something to say about little Peter and the humility that he carried. And I think that's true about humility. It leaves a mark. It is one of the most attractive qualities in an individual is a humble person. And the reason why I think that is, is because that's the heart of Jesus. It's the character of Christ. And it's shining through an individual. And so when we experience that in a relationship, in a person, it's like a touch of God in our life. It's like getting a glimpse of what Jesus looked like. Amen? So the title of my message today is The Mark of Humility. The Mark of Humility. So we're going to continue in our series this morning, walking through the book of Ephesians. We've been doing this series for a while now, Position and Practice. And uh, next week, actually, we're going to pause on the series. And we have Advent coming up. And so we will start back the series sometime later, but we're going to push pause on it. So this will be the last of this series for a little while. Um, but last week we talked about the love of God, right? The full measure of Christ's love and owning that, experiencing that. What does that look like to, to really know and fully understand the full measure of his love and then take it personally, right? We want to take that personally, and then we want to experience the full measure of Christ's love, and that's what he made a way for us to do, right? And so that was the end of chapter three, and now we're going into chapter four. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about that position, our position in Christ, our identity in Jesus, all the amazing things that Christ purchased for us through the cross, the riches of his grace. And it talks about it, the blessings that God has given to us, blessing, authority, unity, um, revelation, love, power, access to God, the presence of God Almighty, being able to come into the most holy place with Jesus. All of these incredible gifts Jesus has given to us by grace through faith. And so he offers this new identity to, identity to us and all of these blessings that come with that. And so the first three chapters are all about our position. And then it transitions in the last three chapters, four, five, and six, starts to talk about the practice of now, how do we respond? How do we respond to that incredible gift of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus? the good news? How do we live in such a way that honors God and honors the gift that he's given us? So 
We're going to look at that because to whom much is given, the word of God says much is required, right? And God has given so much to us. God asks us to receive the riches of his grace, but then to live from that grace through obedience and godly character. So attitudes, actions, words, choices. And this is why Paul starts this next section, chapter 4, with the following passage. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You've already received the calling. He's already given you that that incredible, the hope of his calling, which is incredible, and the riches of his grace and his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's already given that to us. He's already placed us and seated us in heavenly places with Christ. He's already broken down the walls that have separated us and kept us from uniting together. He's already given us the full measure of his love and the pouring out of his spirit in our hearts. He's already done all of that. And so now he's saying, now walk worthy of that. He's saying, now, since we have received all these amazing things, let us now live in such a way that honors God. Since we've received, let us live. Hebrews 10 illustrates this perfectly. This is the gospel. We receive and now, therefore, we can live out from that place, that new identity that Christ purchased for us. Hebrews 10, 19 my voice, by the way, is, I know you, you can hardly hear it. It is right on the line of being gone. So if that happens, then I'll just mime the rest of the message, okay? All right. That'll be interesting. Very silent. Okay, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God that sympathizes with our weaknesses, since we have, verse 22, let us draw near to God. He goes on, let us hold to the hope we profess. Let us spur each other to love and good works. Since we have, let us. And that is the book of Ephesians. One, two, and three is since we have all of this amazing stuff that Jesus has freely given us, now let us walk worthy of the call of God. So Paul says essentially, God's giving you this incredible calling, incredible. Now let us live a life worthy of it. Worthy, that word worthy there means deserving or in the manner that honors the, what, the life we live should reflect the calling we have received. F.F. Bruce says this, those who have been chosen by God to sit with Christ in heavenly places must remember that the honor of Christ is involved in their daily lives. If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, we have to remember the honor of Christ is involved in our daily lives, our choices, our attitudes, our actions, and our words reflect upon the honor of Jesus. 
But what's amazing about that is he's equipped us with everything. He's already given us all love and power and grace and everything we need to live a life that is worthy of the call of God. It's just a choice now. So we have to remember that Christ's honor is involved. And to a degree, it's at stake in the eyes of others around us because we represent him. So let's look at the first instruction that Paul gives in this aim. Okay, if we're going to live worthy of the call of God, how do we do that? How do we live that way? All right, verse 2 and 3. I know we've only gotten through one verse. All right, verse 2. Here's how we do it. But be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Easy. <laughs> Got it. Be completely humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another. <laughs> so easy. Come on, Paul. Right? No, that's hard. That's hard work. Be completely. I love that. He doesn't even shy away. Be completely humble. Not just a little bit. Completely humble and gentle. If you notice, Paul starts with character before behavior, attitude before actions, right? Because everything flows, behavior flows from our character. The things that we do will flow out of who we are, right? And so Paul addresses character first. If we, if we work on behavioral things, which Paul talks about that later on in 4, 5, and 6. He talks about our role in the body of Christ. He talks about marriage. He talks about parenting, spiritual warfare, uh, the words of our mouth, things like that. All of those things. Later on, he talks about those things. But the thing is, if we try to fix a symptom without going to the root cause, it's just going to come back. So if we say, okay, um, I'm going to fix something in my marriage, right? But I'm still arrogant, self-centered, harsh, abrasive, impatient, and uncommitted. Then that's not going to hold. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? doesn't matter what we adjust. If our character doesn't change, the symptom's going to come back. So Paul says, let's start with character. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. It starts, it all starts with Ephesians, starts with receiving the love of God. His incredible love for us starts there. We receive from him that incredible gift, his grace, his mercy, our identity. We respond in love to God and then we allow the grace of God to transform our character. We can't change who we are. Trust me, I've tried. It does not work out well. We have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus and surrender to his grace at work in our hearts to form us and conform us into the image of his son, which is our destiny, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed into the image of his son. And so the spirit of God and the grace of God forms us as we allow him to do so. So he transforms our character into Christ's character, which is humble, gentle, patient. So let's start with taking a look at the cornerstone of Christ's character. So uh, you know how Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, right? Well, I believe the cornerstone of Christ's character, 
obviously love. Yes. Um, love, and with that, partnered with love was humility. And I think love and humility work together. You can't have one without the other, right? You have to have, you can't love someone and be prideful. That, that doesn't work because you're putting their needs above your own, right? You're putting someone before yourself. That's humility. You could honestly define love and humility with the same definition sometimes, right? But humility, you see this in Christ. Humility is the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Psalms 51, 16, 17 says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is how we live a life worthy or honoring the calling that God has given us. Jesus is calling us to live in humility, especially towards one another. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. I say that about a lot of things, but this one is one of my favorites. One of many. All right. Verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, it's like if you have anything, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Not looking to your own interests, but taking a genuine interest in the interests of others. Putting others above yourself, before yourself. You could define that as love as well, right? So Jesus is inviting us into this humility towards one another. And I'm sure you guys have heard this statement before, um, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. So it's not putting yourself down. That's not, that's not humility, right? It's not self-deprecation, it's not that. It is, you still have self-esteem. <laughs> you have a healthy self-image but it's just thinking about yourself less and thinking about others more. That's what Pia did. <laughs> he was thinking about others. Jesus naturally exemplified humility. Philippians goes on in 2 verse 5, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking, that's amazing. He made himself nothing. Christ, the son of God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself farther by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. I'm going to take a drink. Sorry. Just cover your ears. That weird swallowing sound. I know. know. You're like, it's weird. All right. So Jesus, man, humility. We talked about it last week. He took the form of the lowest servant and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus touched lepers. The outcasts of society that would have to ring a bell when they were coming through, calling out unclean. Jesus not only met with the leper, but he touched him. He healed not only his physical body, but his heart by reaching out and touched the leper. He associated with tax collectors and prostitutes. He went fishing with stinky fishermen. Right? Jesus wasn't accepted by the Pharisees. He spent time with the lame, the poor, and the blind. He had no place to lay his head. He was a carpenter's son. He was born in a stable and he died on a cross, falsely accused without a complaint and pleaded for the forgiveness of his very accusers. That's the humility of Jesus. And then he spoke about humility. Constantly saying, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. He said things like, learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. He said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, then you got to be the servant of all. And then one of my favorites is Matthew 18, verse 1 through 4. At that time... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That word humility means to get low. God wants us to get so low that we can't look down on anyone. Can't do it. We're looking up, we're lifting others up above ourselves. There's no opportunity for us to look down on someone. That is the place of a child. Right? Because children, they look up to everybody. They're walking among the trees. And Jesus says, take that position to where you can't look down on someone. That's what I'm inviting you to do. That's how you become the greatest in the kingdom, is choosing humility. The kingdom of God is not a race to the top. It's a race to the bottom. Jesus inverted everything, didn't he? You want to be great? Be a servant. Want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Yeah. You you guys have been talking about being great. All right. 
See this little child? Be like them. So, how do we cultivate this character of Jesus? How, how do we race to the bottom? How do we get to that place of living life in humility? Um, number one, keep in mind how big God is. Keep in mind how big he is. When we see how big God is and we magnify God in our life, then what happens to us? We get smaller, right? We get right-sized in the presence of this huge, righteous ruler of all the earth who commands the stars in the sky and the weather and the moon and, and the one who spoke and breathed and galaxies were born. The, the one who sustains all life. When we get an image of God and how huge he is and how big he is, not only do the, our issues and our problems get smaller, but our view of ourselves gets a little bit more right-sized. <laughs> that we are so small. We are so tiny. We are, we're just so tiny. The Bible says that he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. The universe, not the solar system, not the galaxy. The, that's insane. God is huge. And when we know how big he is, then we're like, yes, God. And then that gives us comfort because he's in charge, not us. And that huge God cares about you and how you feel and the most seemingly insignificant things. So number one, we keep in mind how big God is. Number two, give thanks. Gratitude helps us recognize how much we depend on others and how much we depend on Jesus, right? When you give thanks to God, thank you for this. Thank you for this person. They did this in my life. Thank you for how they served me. Everything in our life came as a gift. Someone taught us to do our job. Someone taught us how to live. Someone taught us how to do relationships, how to pursue Jesus. We didn't do any of it on our own. Someone along the road came by and gave us something. And so when we have gratitude, then again, we're right-sized in our view of ourselves. We, live, we can live out in humility. And then we can see that every good thing is a gift from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. That's what the word of God says. Every good thing comes from him. So I can't take pride in anything that I have in my life because I didn't earn a thing. It was given to me by the grace of Jesus or by the kindness of another person. So gratitude helps us cultivate humility in our lives. Number three, where we can't look down on anyone. And if we start to notice, hey, if we start to notice that we're looking down on someone, then find a way to celebrate them. Lift them up and see how God moves. You know, that scripture in Philippians, it says, Value others, what's the word? It says above yourself, above. So lifting up, above. Number four, this can be a hard one. Treat others with respect and dignity. 
even when they're wrong. Treat others with respect and dignity, even when they're wrong. This is the fruit of gentleness. One of the most undervalued fruits of the spirit. It's gentleness. Paul instructed Timothy when he corrected others. And these are people who were spreading heresy in the church. He says, in humility, correct those who are in opposition. In humility, correct those who are in opposition so that you could stay united. So that you can stay in relationship. Because harsh words and abrasive words, even when you're right, can cause division. You can be right and be very, very, very wrong. Depending on how you communicate in your attitude, in correction. I know this is true for me, especially as a parent. Oh my gosh, there are so many times where I do not treat my children with dignity and respect when I correct them. But Jesus is offering, same thing with our spouses in our marriage. But man, when we do that, there's an opportunity there to minister to, to the heart. Because a lot of times the actions don't really tell the whole story, right? We all know hurt people hurt people. But if we come to them with gentleness, in correction even, but with dignity and respect, then there's an opportunity to touch the heart. And so this is an opportunity for us to practice humility. Number five, live vulnerably and honestly in relationships. Live vulnerably and honestly. Let people see the cracks in your life. Let them see that you're broken. We're all broken, okay? Just news, newsflash. Everyone in here has some level of brokenness and insecurity in their lives. I am one of them. We all do, okay? So you're not alone. We all do. So let's just be honest. Now, it doesn't mean we have to invite every single person into the deep recesses of our hearts, but let's invite at least one person or a few people. Live honestly and vulnerably. Jesus did that. Number six, last one here, prioritize empathy first before correction. Empathy first. In other, in other words, respond with understanding instead of react with judgment. Respond instead of react to people. This means we have to pause sometimes because we feel our own feelings first, right? So we want to react if someone does something hurtful, if something wrong. Pause, ponder, pray, respond with understanding. And again, there's an opportunity, there's an opportunity with empathy, there's an opportunity to touch the heart. So let's do that. Let's take advantage of that opportunity. Jesus did this. The woman who was caught in adultery, his first response was empathy and compassion. 
empathy first. He still corrected her. He still told her, go and sin no more. But he met her first with empathy and compassion. So empathy is our first response. No one knows what someone is thinking or feeling except that person. So ask. Ask. And just see what God could do. And instead of maybe redirecting a course of action or behavior, you could speak to character or even further identity. But that opportunity passes us by when we don't practice humility. Amen? When we choose to prioritize the attitude of Christ, it allows for the rest of this passage to be a reality and to ring true. This is making every effort to keep unity in the body. We make every effort by putting others before ourselves. We make every effort by practicing humility. And this leaves a mark in our lives. So let's read that, the next verses here. Verse four, it says, there, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. We are united together. That is Christ's goal. And humility breeds unity. Man, it does. This is the truth of God's church. And we maintain that gift of unity when we take on Christ's character in his heart. And this leaves a mark. Man, when we do things like this, when we show dignity and respect to someone, when we correct them, even when they're wrong, that leaves a mark. When we choose empathy instead of reaction, that leaves a mark. When we celebrate others and we take opportunities, that leaves a mark on people. And that's the mark of Jesus. It's the character of God touching the lives of people. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Live in a manner that brings honor, that is worthy of the calling and the gifts that we've received from Jesus. So I wanna close with this. I know that <laughs> we've, we've been doing a lot of corporate prayers, it seems like. We've done a couple of them. And I, I have another one for you, but this one's gonna be a little bit different. Um, instead of giving you cards and us grabbing hands across aisles and all of that, today this is just between you and Jesus, Okay. But there's a prayer of humility that I discovered in like a Advent devotional years and years ago, and it just rocked my heart. And I wanted to share it with you guys. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah? Okay. All right. So this is what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're we're going to close with some worship. But before we do that, I want us to pray this prayer together. Okay. And you can even stay seated if you want to. This is what, we're going to pray this prayer together. And again, just, you know, we're not going to say, you don't have to say it out loud. This is just between you and Jesus in your heart. But I'm going to pray this. Lord, from the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear 
of being criticized. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being passed over, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with worship. thank you for showing us what humility looks like. Lord, we are so thankful that we have an example to follow in our lives, God. How wonderful is that? Thank you for humbling yourself and becoming a man. Lord, thank you for humbling yourself and being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Lord, we want to learn from you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who empowers us to live this out. But it's only by your grace, Father, that we can have the character of Christ. And so I pray over my brothers and sisters, Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, help us to look for opportunities to celebrate others. Lord God, help us to think about ourselves less and think about others more and take that position of a child. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you guys for being here. And then don't forget again, next week is going to be a wonderful time. Make sure you're here next Sunday. We're going to be putting together those Thanksgiving grocery bags to families in need, which is so special that we get to do that. And uh, and if you want to be a driver, um, to deliver that meal to a family. Again, we just need three more. Sign up 
the sheet out there. We love you guys, and we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.